For many Christians all over the world, this coming week is the beginning of the season of Lent, that period of 40 days and six Sundays that leads up to the celebration of Easter. Now, you might not be from a tradition that does much with Lent, if anything at all. In fact, this might be even the very first time you've heard of the concept, and that's fine. That's understandable. There's no requirement. You're going, not going to be put in Christian jail for not knowing about it. Regardless, I want to spend some time talking about Lent because I believe it has a lot of truths for humanity in general, whether you consider yourself a Christian believer or not. And in particular, I want to talk just about one day of Lent, the very first day of Lent, which is known as Ash Wednesday. And it is so called because it's a day when many Christians get ashes smeared on their foreheads. You may know family or friends or co-workers who you will be able to count on having such a mark on their heads walking around do, going about their daily business that day with such a mark. This, this is a sign of repentance. It's meant to be a sign of humility. It's, it's a day and it's an act where we take time to remember our mortality. But not just our mortality, but also our dependence upon God for grace, for love, for forgiveness. Things that we can't necessarily provide for ourselves. That's the way that we enter this season. That's the way that Christians begin the season of Lent. To spend some time over the following weeks thinking about these things. Repentance, humility, mortality, and dependence. Now you may be hearing this, either for the first time, but... Maybe also you've heard this every year of your life. In either way, this might sound pretty morbid. And you may be asking, well, who wants to sit around and think about that? Who wants to talk about it? Who wants to reflect on it? Why? Why? What good would that do us? It seems pretty depressing, and there are enough depressing things in the world without seemingly piling on. After all, many Christian traditions seem to overemphasize shame as it is. But I want to say, I think there's still a special place for Ash Wednesday. And I want to talk a little bit about how this message is still worthwhile. Welcome to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast.
when I was a pastor, Ash Wednesday was always one of my favorite days. I always appreciated the the simplicity of the day. There was a straightforwardness to it that that was comforting. It was it was a time to to usher in a much longer and somewhat more complex time of planning and preparation. But Ash Wednesday in and of itself was pretty simple. The message, the preparation, the observation, how much more basic could you get than standing up with a little bowl full of ashes and telling people, you are dust, to dust you shall return. And that was really all there was to it. The, the action was simple. The preparation was pretty simple. And in many churches and traditions that will observe this day, there is a designated set of scripture texts that tend to be heard every year. Maybe there's a little bit of a rotation, but there are three or four that in many mainline traditions in particular, you can pretty well count on hearing. And so for this episode, to help us think about Ash Wednesday, I I want to focus on a couple of these scripture texts to think about them and to think about what they have to say of, to us and to extract from them some general spiritual and also just plain human truths. So if you'll indulge me, that's what I plan to do over the course of the next, I don't know, 15, 20, 25, however long it takes for us to reach the end. So the first one that I want to talk about comes from a little book toward the end of the Hebrew Scriptures called Joel. Joel is a prophetic book. It is a book that focuses on the words or attributed or that attribute words to a prophet named Joel. And in particular, the, the passage that tends to be read and heard on Ash Wednesday comes from chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And the key phrase that has long fascinated me in this passage is when the prophet or God through the prophet says, rend your hearts and not your clothing. A sign of repentance, not just an outward one. God wants more than just an outward sign, that being rending your clothing. It's easy to rend clothing. You can just put on a new shirt the next day, or in their case, a new garment, a new robe, a new cloak. 
It's, it's an outside showing of piety that's easy to replace, easy to cover up, easy to wash away. But the call here is to rend your hearts instead of your clothing. A rended heart? That's way more inward. And it's meant to lead to change. It starts with being broken. But then, after the breaking, after the rending, comes the mending. So I want to think about those two words. First the rending, and then the mending. So first, the rending. As I mentioned in the introduction, seasons like this, days like this, they can make us uncomfortable. This is a time when Christians especially focus on the cross. And when you think about a typical cross, not a, not a modern one that's made of metal and is all shiny, you can go down to your your corner Bible bookstore and get along with some little ceramic praying hands. No, when you think about a true cross, what a cross might have looked like and felt like back in Jesus' time, you think there, were, there would have been a lot of rough edges. And it was a symbol of humiliation. It was not just a symbol, but an instrument of oppression, an instrument of torture, and ultimately an instrument of death. So to face the cross is to face all of that ugliness without polishing it up. This is also a season and a, and a day of self-examination. I've mentioned humility already. It's a time of humility. It's a time to be honest with ourselves, to face ourselves, and not only ourselves, but that includes the dark corners of ourselves that we wish would stay hidden to face those things, to shed light on them, and to deal with them, to actually, we, we not just bring them to light, but then we actually address them, however it is that we need to. I mentioned the words, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the day of course, to hear those words. It, it is a time, the, behind these words is the message that we're not as in control as we think we are. We are not immortal. We are not infinite. Realizations and reflections like these can be truly heart-rending. And so again, we may wonder why, why do we need to pile on the despair? Why would we need to or want to be this honest with ourselves? What, what, are, we, what are we set to gain? What, what, are, 
what good will any of this do beyond causing us to feel bad? But with the rending comes the mending. Because this is a time to remember who we are. All of us, our entire selves, including those dark corners, to bring them to the light, to be honest about them. It's a time to remember all of that, but it's also a time for people of faith to remember who God is. And not just who God is, but how God sees us. The other part of Ash Wednesday is to remember that God sees us with our sins. God sees our dark corners. God sees our shortcomings, our flaws, our mistakes. But also, foundationally, God sees us foremost as beloved. God begins with love. And so, we move toward the cross. Ultimately, on Good Friday, we move through the cross, but we also ultimately end up on the other side, celebrating resurrection. So yes, Ash Wednesday is a time of rending, a time of rending our hearts or acknowledging hearts that have already been rended. But then comes also the mending. Then also comes new life. When we are upfront and honest about something we've done, something we're trying to keep in the dark, when we bring that to the light, that begins the process of transformation of renewal, of restoration. And Ash Wednesday is about that as much as anything else. When Time Magazine celebrated its 25th anniversary, it featured the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr on the cover. There was a, it was actually a painting of him that they had reproduced for purposes of this issue. And underneath this picture was probably the more striking feature of the cover. Niebuhr in that era was was considered, he, he was a well-respected theologian beyond the church. There, there was a reason that he was on the cover. He, he was very well respected as, as a public figure and people listened to what he had to say. And so the more striking feature of the cover 
was a concept that Niebuhr had long championed. There was a caption that said, Man's story is not a success story. All caveats apply regarding gendered language in that era versus now. Man's story, people's story, humanity's story is not a success story. Back when this cover ran, it was just after World War II. The world had been given the news of some 13 million people murdered during the Holocaust. It had seen the effects of two atomic bombs dropped in Japan. So, even with all of that background and that context, to read that quote today, many people may see that as strange. Humanity's story is not a success story. Sure it is. Look at us. Look all around us. Look how far we've come. Look at all of our advancements in technology, all our advancements in communication, all our advancements in our ability to access information. How could anyone possibly say that we haven't been successful? Well, as of this podcast's recording, war has erupted in Ukraine. And the entire world is anxious about what it means and about where it might lead. Not just for the immediate parties involved, but how that will have a ripple effect on everyone else. There has been a continued uptick in rhetoric against people who identify as trans. There have been bannings and even, in some places, burnings of popular books that are considered offensive to our delicate sensibilities. And there, in general, has been a monsoon, a tsunami, a hurricane of propaganda and of falsehoods. There is as much misinformation in the world as there is information. Oh yeah, and by the way, we're still in a damn pandemic. So, how could anyone possibly say that humanity's story is not a success story? Well, Turns out, the case against it is pretty strong. But let's think about the meaning of the word failure. Even in the midst of all this technological advancement, we've still failed often. And at times, spectacular, and at times, intentional fashion to love God, to love creation, to love our neighbor. 
Some aspects of the technology that we think is so great has actually alienated us further from one another. All of that misinformation that has divided families and friends and churches and other community spaces. We have less human contact with one another, let alone anything resembling real relationship or empathy, but we have also siloed ourselves ideologically in more and more extreme ways. Consider the physical or financial or psychological support that has been denied to so many, even though we have the resources, even though our country has the finances to be able to provide it. Consider how often human beings react with irrational fear toward those who are different from them, even to the point of violence. So there is this failure to love others, this failure to love creation, and since Jesus groups them together, it is also a failure to love God. Now, failure could also be a failure to love ourselves. We human beings suffer from a tremendous amount of pride that can blind us to our faults, that keeps those dark corners dark, that keeps us from admitting mistakes or showing vulnerability or asking for help. Because there is this prevalent message that we should be able to do it all ourselves. We should be strong and independent and individualistic and autonomous. And so we sweep our own perfections under the rug so no one will see. And as a result, we cut off love for ourselves by admitting that we need love from others. So all of that brings me to the other Bible passage that I want to talk a little bit about. It's Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of failure. The little heading that is included in many Bibles for this psalm indicates that David wrote it after being confronted about what he did with Bathsheba. There is this other story where David walks out and he sees Bathsheba bathing on another rooftop. He sends for her. He lies down with her, and then she conceives, and he sends her husband off to war to ensure his his being killed and it just it's a mess that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and david commits one horrendous action after another this is a psalm that acknowledges god as the source of transformation. This is David finally fessing up to everything 
that he has done. And so he writes things in the psalm like, Have mercy on me. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me of my sin. A sin that, a series of sins that haunts him, he says. My sin is ever before me. And the big petition at the center of the psalm is when David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Transform me. Transform my heart. Rend it and then mend it. When Reinhold Niebuhr appeared, on that magazine cover, with that quote. This is what he meant. This is what he was trying to get at. Humanity is in need of a clean heart. Humanity is in need of an upright spirit. Humanity is in need of a rending and then a mending. Ash Wednesday is a day to confess. It's a day to be humble to admit our failures, to admit our mortality and limitations. Now again, there is this objection. It's understandable, probably fairly common, this objection. I don't want to spend so much time feeling, a bad, feeling bad about myself, not just on this day, but this entire 40-day season. Between now and Easter, why would I want to do that? But the good news of this season is that we don't remain in this mindset. We're not meant to. Because along with admitting our failures is admitting our dependence on God and others. It's admitting dependence on forces outside of ourselves for forgiveness and redemption and transformation. And so, along with admitting our failures, is God creating in us a clean heart. That's what the psalmist wants. That's what we're meant to reflect on during this time. This season is about reorienting our lives around what God is doing, around who God is created us and wishes for us to be, who God is loving us into being. First comes the rending, but then also, also comes the mending. Ash Wednesday and Lent in general begins with ashes. But the good news of this time is that God doesn't leave us there. Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my four books, at jeffreyanelson.com. You can also find me on social media, facebook.com slash RevJeffNelson, and I'm at BoldRoastRev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.